Welcome to the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast with your host, Patty. Today I have another amazing guest on. Her name is Maeve Hannon. She's a freelance dietitian with her own company, Nutritionally Speaking, as well as Nutrimote. Today we talk about intuitive eating, non-diet approaches to nutrition, as well as food acceptance. It's a thoroughly enjoyable and informative episode. So sit back, relax, and listen up. having a fantastic spectacular Friday evening or if you're listening to this on some other day in the future I don't know what fucking day it is today I have an absolutely brilliant and highly knowledgeable guest her name is Maeve Hannon she's a registered dietitian from Ireland and right now in the UK she has her own website and Instagram, which is highly informative, called dietetically.speaking.com or on Instagram it's dietetically speaking. And on that website she provides coaching. She writes blogs frequently and it's all around the idea of or and the importance of evidence-based nutrition and dispelling these awful, harmful narratives that have no scientific underpinning yet still have an influence on how people are eating and just living their life in general. So I have massive respect for people like Maeve, and this is such an insightful conversation. One thing I really, really appreciated was when I reached out to Maeve, and I hope she's okay with this, I'll, I'll have to check this with her, but she had told me that she doesn't operate within weight loss like she doesn't provide weight loss specific advice and she works more on the kind of side of intuitive eating just improving people's relationship with food and it's very that's very refreshing from the clinical dietitian side i i believe because they're very food focused and you know they're very specific with their consultation approach so I said, oh, that's, that's perfect. As I said that, I realized I have, a comp- not a competition, I'm launching a program that is literally branded the Weight Loss Challenge. So it sounded very gimmicky, I realized then. It wasn't until then that, that Maeve actually brought up that point that I realized, Jesus, what are you doing with this program? So I actually rebranded that to the Ubuntu Nutrition Challenge. But it is directed at helping people achieve sustainable long-term weight loss through the provision of daily habits. But anyway, plug over. Maeve, and I, I discussed that with Maeve, and I was like, oh no, I love that aspect, and that's actually why I reached out to you, and it was. And Maeve said, yeah, she obliged, and we scheduled a meeting, and I actually had to reschedule once, and like, you'll see, Maeve has a lot of projects going on. She actually runs another page called Nutrimote, which is aimed at helping people like myself who are starting consultations or coaching businesses. So then we hopped on and I'll tell you lads, people make mistakes, like hosts make mistakes on podcasts when they're chatting to people, to chatting to guests. And usually the guests, in my experience, in my short 10 episode experience, they'll kind of just let you graze over it. Like I've already, I won't mention names, but I've already speaking of names, I've already called someone, I guess, the wrong name. And I've said they did a course in college that they actually didn't. So I, I've had some pretty big boo-boos in terms of hosting. It's things that I'm going to improve on. But a lot of times guests will just let you kind of go. And it's really nice that they do that because they can tell you're nervous and you're sweating. But anytime, you'll hear it in the podcast, anytime I kind of try to go back to anything related to weight loss specific, Maeve will kind of reel me back and say, that's not what we deal with. And I love that because it really made me think. And I was like, oh, okay, this is really a different approach. And I've learned so much from this. Like I really have learned so much. And I think you guys will too. It really shows me the importance of 
you know, non-diet approaches. And it's something I've always been an advocate of. Really, it has like, and it's, it's how I've grown in my coaching, but Maeve just provides some really, really refreshing insights and just different aspects. So without further ado, pull out a pen and paper. I assure you it'll be of value. Maeve Hannon. Okay, so thanks so much for coming on, Maeve. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so I'm in Boston now at 7 a.m. and Maeve is over in Ireland, so she accommodated me pretty well to get on here because I know how busy you are. So would you just tell us a small bit about yourself, what you do, and also just the start, and we can cover this at the end as well, but the Eating Well book that you've just come out with? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm a registered dietitian. I'm from Ireland. Um, so I'm registered in Ireland as well as in the UK. I currently live over in the UK and I, I work in a lot of different areas. So I'm a freelance dietitian. Um, so I work one-to-one with clients and a lot of that work is around helping people to improve their relationship with food and eat in a more flexible, kind of sustainable way. Um, and then the other bits of work that I do, I do kind of like online lecturing and um, I do like consultancy work and health writing. So kind of lots of different projects. Um, so yes, yeah, so I guess two of my main passions are kind of online working in general for nutrition professionals. So that's where I've started this recent initiative called Nutrimote, um, and that's to help support dietitians, nutritionists, and dietetic and nutrition students um, who are interested in working online, because obviously, you know, it's just a really important way things are going at the moment. Uh, but then in terms of my kind of clinical work, it's around disordered eating and improving relationship with food. Um, and that's really where the book came in more recently. Um, so it's called Your No-Nonsense Guide to Eating Well. Um, and it's quite a short book and a lot of it is just recipes. But what I wanted to do was to make kind of a simple guide to kind of demystify, you know, the whole concept of eating well, just break it down to, you know, what are just some of the kind of key concepts that are helpful to know about and then have some kind of practical ideas to put it all together. And then there's one chapter in there around being a food realist rather than a food perfectionist. And that's around kind of trying to adopt a more balanced mindset in relation to food. Okay. Jeez, that sounds great. And I've just ordered it myself off Amazon, so I'm really looking oh, forward to... Thank you. I, did, I completely slipped there. You're in the UK. You're based in the UK, right? Yes, I am. Sorry, I said Ireland. Apologies for that. That's, I was based in Ireland until a few months ago, so... Okay, okay. Um, so you mentioned Nutrimote there, and we'll, we'll get back to the book, but Nutrimote, so you said that's... And I'm actually part of that as well, and it's actually so valuable. But oh, thank you. There's such an... Uh, a movement now of everyone moving online so I feel like you're just in the right time especially with the pandemic yeah. so yeah and do you feel that do you do you get a lot of people reaching out to you just asking you for guidance on like what's the main obstacles that nutrition professionals have as they move online mm -hmm. yeah so I guess you know nutrition was already moving that way in terms of more kind of online and remote opportunities but obviously everything that's happened with the coronavirus pandemic has just really accelerated that more recently um so yeah Nutrimote was kind of something that myself and my partner anthony had planned to do but it wasn't kind of the front of our to-do list we were like oh we'll do that at some stage you know mm -hmm. we'll set up this kind of resource hub um but then because he's a, a computer developer so he helps with okay. all the technical side of things um but basically then when, you know, everything happened with the pandemic, it was kind of like, okay, well, this is actually needed a bit sooner than, you know, we thought we'd actually put it together. Um, because yeah, I was already starting to get queries about kind of software and, um, like working online and GDPR and things like that. Um, so one of the things that we've done with Nutrimote is this telehealth toolkit and that's in collaboration with Emily from Glowing Potential. So that was kind of the first thing we just wanted to roll out quickly to be like, okay, if people feel like they need any additional information and support around telehealth working online. So, you know, in terms of client consultations, um, there was kind of that toolkit to help support them with that. Um, and then, yeah, but the Facebook group in itself, you know, it is, it's a community where we all support each other and share information, share resources. Um, I do quite a few like Facebook lives and things just to demo like different software or answer questions or get guests on. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it's all just about kind of supporting people that are interested in that area. Um, and then hopefully, you know, starting to link people up with more online opportunities as they start to develop as well. Gotcha. And when we look at 
it, the business moving online, like mm-hmm. with specific reference to the dietetics profession, is there something lost? And I know you did that, uh, that comment poll with the giveaway where you were asking what the biggest challenge is. And I saw a lot of people saying it's the connection with people and being in the room with them. So is there a lot lost there or is it just a small barrier? It's definitely an important consideration because communication is so different through a screen than it is in person. And there are definitely bits of body language and parts of communication that can be lost in translation. So, you know, often you're just seeing from the shoulders up, um, you know, depending on the kind of eye contact and things, because it might be that, you know, you're kind of looking at somebody on one side of your screen and you're typing notes in the other. So, you know, that's where connection sometimes can be missing. Um, and yeah, it can be just harder to take in kind of everything that's going on in that full person. And also if you need to take any specific measurements and things like that, mm. obviously you're kind of relying on what's reported. So there's definitely hurdles, but there's a lot you can do at the same time. So by making sure your client is well prepared for that and, um, you know, just making them feel comfortable with the situation. And there's other just even little like, you know, tips and tricks that you can do, like, you know, if you really want to make sure that you're empathizing properly, you know, kind of make eye contact through the camera rather than yeah. looking at your screen. So you're actually, you know, it's closer to making eye contact and even like where you position your screen and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's definitely considerations and it's kind of a different approach, but the, the history taking part of it becomes really important because you have to really build up that picture based on a lot of information you're told rather than kind of, you know, doing more of your own assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I also think it brings a lot of advantages with it. So for a lot of our clients, it's just way more convenient for them to be able to fit in video consultations rather than in-person appointments. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of pros and cons like yeah. anything. Um, but definitely there, that is an important consideration. Mm, that's very interesting. Okay, so just moving on then, or well, actually one more question. It seems to me, I don't know if this is just me, but there seems to be a growing interest in this profession of dietetics and the other side nutrition but like i when i tell people i studied a master's in nutrition they're like oh my god that's so cool like they they think it's cool and it's like trendy so do you see a lot of people reaching out to you or is it more and more asking about what the dietetics degree was like and they're kind of finding out for themselves whether they want to go into it yeah definitely i get quite a few requests related to that um, and it's great to see so many people are like, interested and passionate about this area um, and also people that want to you know get the proper training and qualifications in it because there's so many people who are interested and have a passion um, but maybe don't you know look into the evidence or you know get the the training needed to properly understand the evidence um, so that's where yeah it's great when people you know want to do it properly um, and yeah, I mean, definitely, because you've even seen within the UK and Ireland, there's more and more dietetic courses being created. So there's mm. definitely a higher demand there. Um, and there's always been a high demand, really. It's quite a small profession, but, you know, you always had quite a high like entry level bar. Like it was yeah. always, you know, the points were quite high and, um, you know, it was quite competitive getting onto the master's sort of programs and that kind of thing. Um, so that's where, I guess, for dietetics specifically, um, you know, a lot of people sometimes have to go down the route of like doing a few different courses kind of before getting onto dietetics specifically, if that's what they're interested in. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that just for nutrition in general, um, yeah, a lot of people are looking at it now as a career option. And I mean, it's great because there's so many different options you can do with it. It's not just, Oh, I'm a dietitian or, you know, I'm a, a researcher in terms of nutrition. There's, you know, you can work in media, you can work in policy, you can work, um, you know, in all these kind of online areas, you can work with nutrition technology. It's, you know, it's endless, really. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Especially now there's so many different avenues you can go into. Um, what would you say to someone who hasn't been able to differentiate between dietetics and just a degree in nutrition? Because mm-hmm. that's something for me, I, I had no idea when I was younger. Yeah. So I think it's about thinking about, okay, what's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? And the main difference is that dietitians get a clinical placement to work with people who have medical diagnosis. So related to nutrition. Um, so it's basically, if you want to work in a clinical setting in a hospital setting or with individuals that have specific disease states or diagnoses, then that's where, you know, dietetics is the route that you'd want to look at. Um, whereas with nutrition, I guess more traditionally, it's been 
a nutrition degree has been related to people who want to work in research or with the food industry or health promotion or in policy. Um, but of course, there are nutritionists like yourself who work with clients as well. Um, but then it's just, you know, again, as you know, well, it's just about that scope of practice and about mm-hmm. whether somebody has a clinical diagnosis or not, or, you know, whether you have the right uh, kind of mentoring and support in place. Yeah. And that's such an important point that if you're working with someone who's not a dietitian, a registered dietitian, and you have a medical condition, they're not covered to work with you whatsoever. And yes. there's some people that they bypass that for the minor conditions, but it's so important, I think, for people to know that. Absolutely. So, mm, yeah. Okay. So that's the, I think that's all the, oh, one more question. I, I just had Alan on, Alan Aragon, and I asked him, what his idea of evidence-based nutrition was. And it was, it was really insightful. Different people have different takes on it. So I was just wondering, because that's one of your tenets that you kind of base all your content on, like evidence-based, no-nonsense nutrition. So yeah. how would you describe, what's your idea of evidence-based nutrition? So I guess I'd describe that as information about nutrition that is supported by well-designed research studies so rather than opinions or anecdotes so you know rather than okay i heard this worked for this one person or you know my neighbor found this supplement was great it's actually about on a larger scale is there well-designed evidence to support this so looking at and it's not just one individual study it's like that evidence base so kind of overall you know what does the research say so it's based by facts and science rather than kind of opinions and it's really important because it's just getting the accurate sort of safe information out there because a lot of us you know like we all have our own bias in terms of like food preferences or you know nutrition can get really tribal in terms of okay i'm you know i'm part of this kind of you know plant-based or keto community or you know whatever it is and that's not to say anyone who associates with those diets are tribal but there are some people within those communities where it does become very black and white and this is the only approach whereas as we know it's so individual and there's so many different approaches that work in different contexts yeah and i think a lot of people don't understand that if something is working for you that's great no one's arguing with that but it might not work for someone else and that's the idea of like the anecdotal kind of they're putting out their anecdotes thinking that that's the gospel just because it worked for them but yeah. yeah That's it. Exactly. And a lot of the time people are coming from a good place. You know, they want to sort of spread the word and this worked for me and this is great. And they want other people to benefit from it. Um, But it is just really important to note that actually that can do more harm than good Mm. if you're not looking at that full person's history or if you're not qualified to understand how that might impact, you know, with them and their medical history and their social situation and everything. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's a great one. That's a great way of explaining it. Love it. Um, Okay. So, now we'll move into some of the content pertaining to like what, what your content is on Instagram and on the website. So when it comes to, this is a kind of general question, but maybe if you can just give small little bits. So when it comes to achieving a healthy, in brackets, quote unquote, balanced diet, what are some of the principal first steps that you would advise to a general client? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I guess it depends because the kind of clients I worked with, I work with, often have a difficult relationship with food and body image so sometimes we don't start from the place of looking at diet itself and which can feel counterintuitive if you're you know speaking about a dietitian um but basically sometimes it might be looking at the relationship with food you know body image comfort eating sort of those kinds of things and before getting a bit more specific around nutrition itself but i would generally you know encourage um from the get-go regularity with eating um, so eating every two to four hours. And, and then sometimes people do need a little bit more guidance from the start in terms of, okay, well, what food groups should we have at a meal to make sure that it's balanced? And I guess having the kind of the stabilizers on at the start can be helpful for people um, in terms of, okay, well, you know, I know that I need to get a starchy carbohydrate, I need some protein and I need some fruit or veg, and then, you know, maybe some fat as well in that meal just to make it rounded balanced and nutritious um so often it is really taking it back to basics and simplifying that because people have been really confused understandably by a lot of these messages about carbs are good or bad fat is good or bad you need to take this supplement or this detox diet and they're just really overwhelmed and confused Mm. so it can be really helpful just take it back to basics okay let's go for your three meals and you know possibly add in your two or three snacks as well um, and you know balance out the meals in this way 
And then obviously it will depend, you know, on activity levels and things, whether we tweak that a little bit. But often for people, it is just laying kind of the basics of those foundations um, while we then work on some of the, the aspects related to the relationship with food. I couldn't agree with that more that in in my experience now recently working with people, I find myself as not like people come to me and they think they're when they're working with nutritionists, they're going to get this new supplement or this magic diet when I feel like I'm now more than ever someone that is just bringing them back to basics. Like you say, just showing them if you practice these few consistent habits over and over again, there'll be big differences. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's such a good point. Yeah. And I actually threw the question box up on the Instagram. Uh And so it's a good place to put one of them in. Someone asked just uh, what is intuitive eating and how can I kind of start implementing that in my life? Yeah. So intuitive eating, it's a, a specific approach. It was designed by two dietitians in America. Um, and it's like, it's a 10 step approach to improving your relationship with food and getting more in tune with your internal feelings of hunger and fullness and being guided by a lot of those internal feelings rather than external things like looking at, you know, a meal plan or the time of day, or, you know, feeling like this is what I should eat. It's more about kind of listening to your body. Um, so within those 10 different steps. So it starts off with ditching diet culture. So again, it's for a lot of people who've been on the diet merry-go-round and, you know, they've just always had this focus on weight loss and it just really hasn't served them over time. Um, So it's about seeing some of the harm within that and within the kind of the overall culture that just has so much focus and attention on weight um, and trying to disassociate from that. Um, It's looking at hunger and fullness levels. So starting off with making sure that you're, you're eating enough to feel full and satisfied. And then within that kind of satisfaction part of it, you know, it brings in elements of mindful eating and, you know, just thinking about the different tastes that you find satisfying. Um, that also then, yeah, hunger. So making sure you're not leaving too long before getting hungry, but it's, it's not kind of a black and white thing. It's always about kind of self-discovery and gentle reflection because obviously it's always going to change and, if you were to implement any of this hundred percent, then it just becomes another diet and it's trying not to be that it's trying to be kind of more of a framework. Um, and then it does bring in, so, you know, part of it is making peace with food and that's about, um, you know, a lot of people have certain foods that they feel are off limits or bad or naughty or, you know, all of these labels. And it's about taking food off a pedestal and starting to um, allow yourself to have those foods and that's where I guess a lot of the messaging where people think it's, oh, just eat whatever you want all the time. And that's not what intuitive eating is. That's kind of one element of one step of intuitive eating where, because um, for some people there is a stage where they might eat more of these foods while they're kind of just getting used to the fact that they're not going away because it's that whole restriction mindset of, okay, if this is going away, then it's like, you know, this is my last supper and I'm just going to go mad and I'll start the diet tomorrow. But if you know that it's always there, you kind of can get out of that mindset and take some of the power away from the food. So there is that one element of it. But then the last step is around gentle nutrition. So it does bring in some elements of nutrition because obviously, you know, we do get different nutrients or we do feel better if we eat in a certain way. But that's what it focuses on. It's about, okay, so, you know, bearing in mind, like, what do I actually want to eat and how hungry do I feel? Um is there any sort of kind of, you know, tweak to this that might mean that actually my energy levels last longer or it'll help my bowels to be more regular. So it's about kind of, you know, what can I add in or, you know, what can I tweak just to, to make me feel even better? And that's under that title of gentle nutrition. And then another part of it is around intuitive movement. So it's, it's about moving rather than like right exercising to burn calories or lose weight. It's about, you know, moving to find something that you enjoy and to get all those extra health benefits that aren't just about weight loss. Gotcha. Jesus. That's great. Yeah. I think, and you find that this idea of no food is inherently off limits. Do you find that helps big time with clients? Definitely. I mean, cause it's not that, I mean, when I was going through intuitive eating there, so I don't call myself an intuitive eating counselor or anything like that because I don't always do the full process with my clients, but I think there's a lot of beneficial kind of activities and um, messages from that that can be incorporated so so sometimes I do sometimes it is kind of full-on intuitive eating we're doing but sometimes it's just more kind of flexible eating and where you can bring in elements of that 
And that is one thing that really, for most people that I work with anyway, legalizing foods and making sure that, yeah, nothing's off limits unless you're allergic to it or unless you hate it, of course. Um, otherwise, yeah, again, just that psychological change of, okay, well, knowing that this is here, it just, it, it really starts to lose its power. And actually sometimes in the short term, you know, people can actually be a bit disappointed because it was like, oh God, this food used to make me feel like amazing. Or I used to, this used to be my comfort, you know, but now it's kind of like all food is, is neutral to me or more neutral to me. Um, so, but then in the longer term, that means that things just remain more balanced and then you can appreciate food for all the extra benefits we get from it in terms of just enjoying it and socializing and, you know, cooking the food and, kind of just coming at it from a, a really positive aspect rather than always feeling like you're in this tug of war and you know you're never good enough and you're always having to cut back and restrict and change yeah and in that kind of latter example food becomes a number that you're it's just a number that like a yeah, macro or a calorie number where like you say food is so much more than that you know it can be like an enjoyable social experience with your friends or family mm -hmm. um, it can be an enjoyable experience for yourself tasting it yeah it's funny now this is a perfect example of an anecdotal example but i recently spoke to a friend who had quit smoking for the last i think it was 10 years mm -hmm. and she told me how she did it was she kept saying to herself i'll have a smoke tomorrow and it's not the exact same concept but she said the idea that it wasn't completely off limits to me helped me and I was like that's kind of similar to this idea of no food is off limits where we're not telling her to go have a cigarette once a day but it's this idea that adherence will be much longer and you'll be able to stick to something for a lot longer if you have the foods that you love in it and I just remember going back to you know when I was younger going on these diets and Sunday night like you say Maeve where okay, I'm getting started tomorrow, but you're, you're anxious because you're like the next six or whatever arbitrary timeline you've mm -hmm. applied to it, you know you're not having any of the foods you loved. And it only ends up lasting two weeks because you've restricted yourself to such a high degree. So yeah, I just think that's a great point of implementing the foods that you love on a regular basis. Yeah, you're absolutely right because then it's, it's like a health change rather than like a quick fix or a short-term diet. And it's, you know, it's also then about like adding in what's beneficial rather than always thinking, okay, I always need to cut back and it's always about less because, you know, then you're always going to feel restricted and it's like that just has to give at some stage and it's just going to overcompensate in the other direction. Mm, yeah. And just as you mentioned, the not like it's a non-diet, that's a big approach that you take, whereas you're not applying it, you're not starting a diet, you're, you're changing your lifestyle for the foreseeable future. Would you just maybe go into how that approach differs from a diet, like a six week or eight week diet. Yeah. So the, the non-diet approach. So again, I've just been having some interesting conversations around these labels, so I'm happy to explain them, but I actually don't really align myself specifically with, okay, okay I'm non-diet or I'm intuitive eating. Um, that that's where I think where I'm kind of sitting, I might in future, but at the moment I'm kind of, it's around like flexible eating food freedom, but they are all related. Um, but when it comes to non-diet, it is this overall approach and um, it's, it's linked to intuitive eating. So a lot of the principles um, are related, but true non-diet nutrition, it, it takes a focus away from weight loss and dieting and dieting for weight loss specifically. And it's a more holistic approach. Um, so it kind of, it includes things like mental well-being and um, again, enjoyment of food, enjoyment of movement. And the focus really is on overall health rather than weight loss. And as I said, when in terms of the intuitive eating side of things, you know, that gentle nutrition can come into it. So it's not that you just disregard kind of nutrition or, you know, food choice at all, but it's actually that you're taking a step back and looking at that bigger picture in terms of health gain rather than weight loss. And, and it, you know, it is really helpful to look at it from that angle for people specifically who have been in lots of cycles of dieting and, um, you know, the weight going up and down and um, whose self-esteem has been impacted by that, you know, have negative body image um, or if food is kind of the main go to for comfort, for coping strategies, you know, for people that have have that sort of relationship with food, trying to look at it from this angle in a lot of cases can be really helpful. And it, it, for the most case, or for the most part, it's probably people get scared when they're like, you're not giving me my macros or my calories. What if I gain weight? 
for most people that are working with you, they're, they're going to be taking a step in the right direction. You know, if not mm -hmm. one, they're, they're going to improve their health and they're probably going to set themselves up for heading towards that healthy weight. Possibly, but I guess it is important to say that, say with this approach and the approach that I use as well, just to be really clear that somebody may not lose weight on it. So, okay. you know, we will uh, work on factors that will improve overall health. So, you know, that will include looking at things like sleep and stress and movement, you know, I mean, in a general sense yeah. um, and improving nutrition quality. So, you know, that will have an overall impact on health and disease risk. Um, sometimes as you're saying as a side effect of those changes then the weight can come down you know depending on where someone's kind of set point range is um, but it's not always guaranteed gotcha. so it is yeah. just to kind of if a client wants to try that approach just to make that clear to them but if it comes to a, a stage where okay actually weight loss is the main thing they want to focus on that's when I would refer them on to someone else okay. who would be working in that space gotcha okay very very good um, so this might be a bit out of the realm so but um i was going to say that like now more than ever we have a lot of self-proclaimed mm -hmm. nutritionists and we know how easy it is well you can literally anyone consider a nutritionist and they're selling these weight loss programs and i know i'm doing a weight loss challenge now but it's different i should have labeled that differently it's a sustainable weight loss but mm -hmm. we have we have the numbers and the data suggest that weight regain is more prevalent than ever do you have any kind of hypothesis to why it's such an issue now yeah really good point and I, that's part of that whole kind of non-diet movement that we were talking about that weight regain is so common um so some of the the actual statistics on it you know you often hear like oh 95 percent of diets don't work and um, when i've looked in that in a little bit more detail it's more that people who lose a significant amount of weight so like at least five percent of weight about only 12% of people can sort of lose that weight and maintain it for about five years. Um, and that's in a lot of studies where people have had quite a lot of support and they've been designed by, you know, big weight loss companies and things who would be, you know, doing their best to get a positive outcome. Um, but then it is a little bit contradictory. So, you know, there was the look ahead study, for example, and that actually found um, it was closer to 50% weight loss maintenance, um, you know, over a longer period. Um, so it, it does vary depending on the study. And there was actually a really interesting um, podcast episode recently. I don't know if you heard the Sigma Nutrition episode um, with Alan Flanagan. Um, I listened to the start of it. Yeah, I, I haven't yeah. finished it. It's, it sounds really good. It's really good. Yeah. So it kind of it digs into this in more detail. Um, but it's just highlighting that some of the issues with the research in that space in terms of, you know, maybe not properly having the proper kind of entry criteria or screening for people. Mm -hmm who may have more disordered eating tendencies to begin with. So it may be that a lot of people in the studies kind of never should have been in those studies. And then, you know, they may lose weight with support over six months, but then when they're back to left to their own devices again, you know, things may go back in that more kind of disordered relationship and, and, you know, the weight comes back and sometimes, you know, more than the original weight. Um, so it's a really, it's a really kind of complicated area and there's a lot of considerations. So, in terms of so there's one theory around metabolic adaptation that you might have heard of where um where we got this from mainly was the biggest loser study mm. um so that tv show in america where they followed people who were on this tv show so they had you know a lot of pressure on them to lose weight because they're on like being scrutinized by the public public basically and they had a lot of you know support and exercise and things like that to do during the program so the people who they lost significant amounts of weight and then they had their metabolic rates checked. And so always, you know, when you lose weight, if you have a smaller body, your BMR, your basal metabolic rate will go down because, you know, there's less of you to fuel basically. So that will always happen. But their metabolic rate went down lower than would be expected, even when you account for the weight that they've lost. So there was something about that kind of extreme weight loss that seemed to um, have a negative impact on their metabolic rate. So actually they'd have to eat, you know, far fewer calories than usual just to maintain that weight that they've lost. So that might be one element that's happening for some people. Um, you know, there is more research needed in this area, but then it's also like the behavioral side of things is so important. So a lot of the time that's where if you focus on the health behavior, again, you know, 
as we said, people may settle on kind of where their weight is supposed to be. That may not be within that criteria of, okay, you know, 20 to 25 BMI, you know, these kind of things, because we're all so different. Um, but it's, you know, are people in terms, you know, do they feel confident? Do they have that self-efficacy to make changes, to continue changes? Do they have enough support, you know, so they're not just left, you know, do this for a few weeks and then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many factors, but based on the current evidence that we have, overall it looks like you know people can tend to lose weight within a six-month period but then it can often go back on quite quickly um you know there are people who do manage to to maintain that weight loss but we need kind of more research to look into what those factors are in terms of you know what makes it easier and not so so for a lot of people it's especially if you've had that a lot of weight cycling and if you've had disordered relationship with food then focusing on weight loss is just, you know, going to be really unhelpful for people. They're going to stay on that diet merry-go-round. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I'd never be black and white about it and say it's not for anyone or it's always bad. It's definitely not. But there's just, there are certain people where they basically, they've tried it so many times and it hasn't worked for them. And that's where taking a step back away from weight and looking at overall health can be more helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, it's something I didn't actually consider before. I actually talked about this in a podcast, that biggest loser trial, and I talked about a small bit about metabolic adaptation, but I never thought about it. And just as you were saying it, that study is not really applicable to many of the people we'd work with because they were people who would have been in the very, very high BMI category. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're, like you say, the participants there are probably, there's probably a lot of psychological you know, connections to food or disorders there. So it's a really good point I hadn't considered. Um, I took, yeah, I must listen to the rest of that podcast as well. Mm-hmm. But it, I, in the course last year, as a little side project for a module, we had to do like a fake meta-analysis. We had to do the whole process of the meta-analysis. And me and my buddy, we took on a habit-based uh, weight loss coaching. So we had to mm-hmm. develop a coaching system. So we did a systematic review of the literature looking at habit-based uh, it was habit-based weight loss trials and what they found is things like you just mentioned acceptance of your like and removing the goal from weight to improving habits and we found like really really inside there's not as much as there should be there should be a lot more research in this area of habit-based coaching yeah. but what, what they found was a year or two down the line if they don't look at weight they don't they're not even tracking weight they saw these habits were still being practiced Wow. And it was just, I just thought it was really, really like cool, you know, that when you yeah. go from weight, as you say, and looking at, have you improved your health? How are you feeling? Are you feeling better about your diet? Are you eating more fruit and veg? You know, things like that. Then it's just, yes. it's something you can practice long into the future. That's really interesting to hear. Yeah. And, and some other studies have echoed, you know, very similar results to that. Um, so, yeah. So I, I do think for a lot of people taking that step away from weight it it can be really helpful as i said you know it's not black and white it's not for everyone but definitely in some cases yeah yeah okay so just a couple more now for you um i was taking a look through your instagram feed and just to kind of put together some questions of your main areas and this idea of reframing the mindset around certain foods and so like i'm looking at carbs because this is one that people they have a lot of different ideas and we have tribalism, I think, around carbs. Mm-hmm. So many people have an internal bias around them or, you know, they, they fear them. So what are some reasons in your mind that we shouldn't fear them and how can we overcome that? What are some steps we could take to overcome that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not surprising that there is so much carb phobia out there because there's, there's just been a lot of demonizing of carbs in general. So there's just been, you know, so many celebrities promoting low carb diets and, you know, like celebrity doctors and things as well. So people think, oh, this is the right thing to do. This is a health professional. Um, so yes, it's just a lot of negativity out there related to carbs. Mm. But in terms of reframing that, it can be really useful to educate a little bit more about the role of carbs in our diet for our health. So really just highlighting that, you know, carbs are the main fuel for our body. So it's what our cells need, it's what our muscles need, our brain, you know, for function, for movement. And, you know, our body can create energy from other sources you know like from ketone bodies from fats and things like that but it's not as efficient as carbohydrates so carbohydrate is is the preferred source it's the best source and then if we think of it 
you know, a lot of the time looking at the nutrient itself isn't always the most helpful thing. So if we kind of take a step back and think about, well, what foods do we find this nutrient in? So if we think about it like fruit, you know, certain vegetables, dairy, whole grains, beans, lentils, you know, there's so many of these nutritious foods that offer lots of other nutrients that would be higher in carbs. So if you think about like low carb diets, then, you know, you're cutting out a lot of these beneficial nutrients, particularly fiber. And really, you know, when we look at it, having a varied diet and eating lots of different plants is a key component of a healthy diet. Um, so if you can, again, try to reframe that and think about, okay, well, you know, there's all these nutritious foods that I get carbs in. It's this important fuel for my body. And then some other factors can be thinking around like prebiotics. So again, some of those higher carb foods like oats and wheat, bran and pasta and bananas um, act as a prebiotic. So a food for the probiotic bacteria in the gut. So again, that can help with gut health and then possibly overall health. And then also just thinking about, okay, well, what, what other kind of benefits do we get from this? So like, how do you feel when you eat carbs? Do you find it satisfying, tasty? Does it give you an energy boost? You know, if you're doing a lot of sports, you might need to be taking carbs in the form of like sports drinks and things like that. You know, it's mm. just really useful in lots of different contexts. And just with any food really highlighting that there's no such thing as one good or bad food. It's that bigger picture of your overall diet, the overall balance. And that's why, you know, nothing needs to be off limits, as we were saying earlier, because it's more like, okay, well, what are you doing most of the time over a long period? And, you know, we're not robots. Like there's that bit of wiggle room in our body that we can have like a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, you know, these things. Or, you know, if, if we don't eat our five a day on one day, you know, but we generally do, that's absolutely fine. You know, it balances out over time. So sometimes it's been a little bit less perfectionist in the way that we think about food and just thinking about it as that kind of balanced bigger picture view mm, yeah it's a really good point that if you're if you're going to cut out carbohydrates you're most likely going to cut out a lot of essential vitamins and minerals you know yeah. so what just a kind of ad hoc question there off that what would your advice be to someone who is following let's say some kind of elimination diet like the ketogenic diet where they've mm -hmm. brought fat or carbohydrates down to basically zero less than 50 grams a day which is insanely low yeah if they feel great on it they're they're doing great what would your advice be to them in terms of continuing forward yeah so it's not a dietary approach that i encourage or that i work with clients on um i mean there are certain cases where it's useful or it's medically indicated so you know the the reason that it became kind of a dietary pattern in general was in the 1920s, it was discovered that it could be used to help children who had epilepsy. So there was something about using the ketone bodies as an energy source. You know, they didn't really know why at that stage, um, but they just saw this benefits that, okay, they were getting a reduction in their seizures. Um, and it's still used, it's still like a second line option. So if mm. medication isn't working, um, sometimes the ketogenic diet can be used for children with epilepsy. And in certain like metabolic disorders that people are born with, um, sometimes it's used as an option there and there's a bit of research into specific types of brain tumors and things like that um, but the, the evidence is really contradictory about cancer in general and it's such a restrictive diet that you know it could be really harmful for somebody who has cancer because they're they may be already malnourished and then you're you know cutting out a lot of energy and you know a whole food group basically yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah so it's it's not something that I do really work with clients on. Um, as we said earlier, you know, everyone is individual and it may be that on an individual level, somebody finds that it works for them, you know, great, as long as they're having their checkups and, you know, making sure that their overall health is good. Um, but really, you know, if, if somebody was trying to move away from that, it's, it's that reintroduction of carbohydrates. So it's, um, you know, with, with your meals, you know, you could start by increasing your portion or, you know, adding it into meals. Um, and again, just, you know, focusing on things like your, your carbohydrates, you know, your fruit, um, and getting just more variety back in your diet. Um, they could be some of the considerations there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think giving them the information that you're cutting out a source of a lot of healthful nutrients too, really wakes people up to, Oh, okay. So it's not simply just cutting out this fattening macronutrient which is not at all but exactly. you and w when you started on that you said um telling pe a big step is telling people how important carbohydrates are and james morton who i'm listening to at the moment 
he always says at the start of his lectures, carbohydrates are king. And I love that. That really just yeah. simplifies it for you. You know, you, it's the most efficient source of energy. So when people learn that, they're like, ah, oh, okay. So it's not just an empty nutrient that causes fat gain. That's, that's, uh, that's great. Okay. And I have one more, say, big question. And then I just have one or two little ones I got on Instagram. They're just kind of like rapid fire. Sure. So I say this is the juicy one. Um, what are some of the, and I've, I'm sure we've covered some already. So feel free to just kind of skim past them and hit a, one or two other ones. The most damaging misunderstandings and maybe most widely held um, in nutrition. Yeah. So like nutrition myths, basically. Yeah. yeah. I, I try to avoid using myths because it's making it sensational, but yeah, sure. basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, as you said, we've already touched on some of these. So like carbs are bad is a big one that I would come across a lot. Um, and then as we touched on as well, so, you know, that there, there's such thing as one perfect diet so that, you know, it's just this one diet that's going to work for everyone and it's the best way. And it's, you know, doctors don't want you to know about this. You know, it's as if this big conspiracy that we're kind of hiding, you know, the best diet out there when it's just, it's a lot more complex. It's way more individual. And over time, it's going to become more and more personalized in terms of, you know, uh, like personalized nutrition in terms of genetics and everything. Mm. Um, so yeah, so really, really individual and it's not black and white. There's no such thing as a perfect diet. It's about, you know, getting that overall balance most of the time and not becoming too obsessed or too focused on nutrition at the expense of, you know, other aspects of your life. Because if you're spending all your time and effort thinking about nutrition, you know, to the extent that you're socializing less or you're not relaxing or, you know, you're not, making time for movement or you know all these things then that's not good for your health so it's like it's one part of a jigsaw puzzle it's not the whole picture mm. um i guess another one then that's quite common is around organic food um so thinking that okay organic food is best it's healthiest and then people feeling under pressure that oh i have to you know pay more for this organic food um, when really when we look at nutritional quality there's no difference really so especially in terms of like you know organic fruit and veg there's no real difference in terms of nutrition quality and like that organic label it's I think people think it's a lot more cut and dry than it is but like you can still use certain pesticides and things in organic mm. production it's just you know you can have certain ones and you can't use other ones and there's actually you know things like you like GMOs that can have you know really important uses in the nutrition space you know, they can't be used as part of organic production. So there's, you know, there's pros and cons, but then organic production does focus on, you know, environmental sustainability um, and all that side of things. So, yeah, so it's a bit, I think when we think organic, it's always better, but it's not necessarily the case in organic food in terms of the environment as well. You know, it often takes more water to produce organic food than it does conventional produce. Um, because like if you're if you're making it less intensely then you're going to actually need more energy and more water and more resources to create it and um, so it's basically it's a lot more complicated than that in terms of the environmental impact and in terms of the health impact as I said no real difference I mean there's some studies that found organic milk had slightly higher levels of omega-3 and certain vitamins but that was because the milk was from grass-fed cattle rather than grain-fed cattle and if anyone listening is in the uk or ireland you know especially ireland basically all the cattle is grass-fed um so that seems to make a bigger impact than whether it's organic or not Uh, organic um so yes there's a few kind of insignificant maybe minor differences but overall it really it doesn't make a difference and especially if that's going to be a blocker for you like if you end up buying less because it's more expensive or you know if it kind of becomes more of an issue um, then that's going to be worse so really if the focus is on getting enough fruit and veg in general rather than thinking oh it has to be organic yeah that's a really that's that's a great point because so many people come into the nutrition space you know they start working on their diet they start improving and then they get hit with this media social media kind of tirade that oh now you have to go you have to go organic so they're in there they've just started eating more fruit and veg you know they're hitting their daily targets and they're like oh but it's not organic. So am I even doing anything? And then I find people get discouraged and might be more likely to just stop buying fruit and veg altogether. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Just unnecessary guilt, isn't it? Exactly. And a lot of people aren't in that position to pay that extra money for organic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to have Astrid on from anti-diet dietitian. Oh yeah. Yeah. So she talks about, she's great. She talks about how 
organic like there's natural chemicals and pesticides as well just because it's not natural doesn't mean it's not a chemical and i think that's so interesting I put that on a t-shirt actually. It was like all food is made of chemicals, you know, obviously we have synthetic and natural chemicals, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a synthetic chemical is worse. It depends on the dose and the the type of chemical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's a great point. It's a great point. Okay. So I got a question for you from, I think it's someone in the dietetics uh, space and they just said, what's your least favorite, but I'll I'll reword that to toughest uh, area of dietetics. Okay. Um, yeah, I can answer that one fairly easily. Um, so when I was on placement and things, um, when I got exposure to intensive care, so where it was like, you know, critical care, I found that just really intimidating. Um, and it's an area then after that. So when I qualified, I never actually worked in that area. So I worked um, as a stroke specialist dietitian, pediatrics dietitian, general dietitian. Um, but it's not an area that I've, I've really worked in and I've always been a bit intimidated by it. Um, I have some friends who work in that area and love it. And obviously it's so important and really important at the moment with the pandemic um, and the increased demand in that service. So I'd say a lot of dietitians are actually getting more experience in that area. Um, yeah, but for me, the, the kind of the, the very clinical kind of critical care environment, um, I just didn't think it was for me. That person, not even lying, that person actually messaged as well and said, I know it's going to be the ICU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's a big yeah. part. Um, and then just one other one is, I think we kind of hit this at the start, but, uh, what's your advice to a young student considering dietetics? How should they, I mean, in Ireland now, especially you go into a course that you don't even know if you love. So what would you give to maybe a fifth or sixth year student that doesn't know if they're fully invested in it? Yeah. Yeah, it is tough. Like, I guess it's because there aren't that many opportunities to shadow even before the lockdown and the pandemic, you know, especially in Ireland, it was difficult to get shadowing opportunities. Mm. Um, so it is really tough now for people to get an accurate idea of what's involved. So I would say, you know, first of all, like look up, you know, what a dietitian does, you know, follow different dietitians on social media to get an idea of that. Um, you can like interview dietitians and just, you know, get advice from them if you have specific questions, but also to put that in your application. So for some applications, they want sort of evidence of shadowing, but that's, you know, not really going to be possible for most people. So, uh, but you could put down, yeah, I, you know, I watched this, like I did an Instagram live recently with dietitian row where we talked all about this. And um, so, you know, even kind of being involved or watching that sort of thing, you know, you could reflect on that, you could talk about it, or you could reach out to individual dietitians um, to get specific advice or tips or, you know, just information about what their day looks like, what kind of areas you can work in. Um, but I would say, you know, it's a lot of the training is around hospital-based dietitians. And I do think that's really important to get that clinical grounding. Um, but as I said earlier, it's not the be all and end all. So there are other areas. So if you find that that's maybe not for you and you prefer consultancy or health writing or health promotion or, you know, these other areas, you can always, you know, move towards that direction or, you know, look for different career options within nutrition. If you know that nutrition is what you're really interested in. Um, but I would flag, so for people of that age, just to make sure that you're, you're coming into the profession for the right reasons. So, you know, where's your interest coming from? Because it's quite common for people who study dietetics and nutrition to, you know, possibly have a disordered relationship with food themselves and maybe be a bit obsessed with food. And in some cases, you know, you learn about food and then, you know, that might help to improve that relationship. But for other people, that focus and like I can remember assignments that we did in uni where it was like you had to track your intake and count your calories and you know do all this kind of thing that could be really triggering for somebody specifically somebody who would have an eating disorder um and if you do have like diagnosed eating disorder um really important you know to mention that to the course director and you know have that communication between your health team and the university in that case that's that's huge um in one of our last lectures it was by a woman named a very renowned researcher named anna malin she looks at eating disorders in like female athletes and olympians and she said there was like i think there was about a hundred of us sitting in the lecture theater and she said i can't remember what percentage it was it was pretty high i think it was close to 20 percent. she said 20 percent. the statistics show us that 20 percent of you guys in this room studying in a nutrition profession mm-hmm. have or have had disordered eating behaviors and that by you studying this it's most likely an unconscious act to help yourself Mm -hmm. i think that's a really good point that you need to recognize why you're going into it 
that's really interesting you know, to hear that specific statistic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so just to reflect on like, is that actually my best interest to focus on food or actually do I, would I be better to get a bit of distance from food and focus yeah. on another area? Yeah. And as you say, it's going to be eight hours a day of all food. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's just not for you. Yeah. That's a great point. Okay. So will you tell us everywhere we can find you, the projects mention the book and where they can get that because it's, it's, it's great. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so my website is dieteticallyspeaking.com and on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at dieteticallyspeaking. Um, on Twitter, I'm at dieteticspeak. Um, and then Nutrimote, if you're interested in that, it's N-U-T-R-I-M-O-T-E. And there's a website, there's the Facebook group, as a mailing list as well. And the book then is available. I have it linked everywhere, basically. So if you go onto my page, like there'll be a pop-up with it and there's a section on the website um, and it's in like my bio and Instagram and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that should be easy enough to find. Um, so yeah, I think that's all my plugs. I'll link that all up anyway. I'll oh, link all you. that. Yeah, yeah, I'll link that in the show notes. And um, this is a new thing I'm going to start. So I listen to Danny a lot, right? And I love his sign-off where he's like one but I can't just copy that. So I don't know if you saw it in the email, but do you have a quote that you like to live by or that you'd like to, to give to sign off? Yeah. Um, so there was kind of two that came to my mind. So one of them was, um, it was just kind of a quote from my own book and it's because I'm, I'm not really that into like other motivational quotes and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do like them, but they just, I don't know, they don't stick with me that much. Maybe I'm not looking at the right quotes. Um, but yeah, so one that I kind of use is that food should complement your life, not dominate it. And that's, I guess, you know, a lot of the message within the book and a lot of the work I do with clients. Um, it's about food complementing your life where it's not a, a place of obsession, but it's actually helping you to do all the activities and everything that you love. Um, and then the other one that kind of came to mind was from a dietitian called Catherine Collins. Um, and it's around superfoods. And it kind of ties in with a lot of what we were talking about in terms of like the messages that we hear about nutrition and things. And it's that superfoods are just normal foods with good PR. And uh, I just think that's so true. And I like that. I like that. That's a great, yeah, that's a good one. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So uh, that's it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I actually had a blast. I thought I learned, I learned a lot myself. So really enjoy this. Oh, thank you. It was really lovely chatting to you. Yeah. And we'll link all the information up. So perfect. Thank you. Great. Bye. There you go. As you can see, and as promised, that was a very practical episode where you can take the nuggets, I like to call them, of information from Maeve and you can apply them directly. Tomorrow you can start doing them, you know? That's what I love about, hopefully, this podcast. I want it to be understandable first, but also practical where people can put the headphones down and actually use this information and apply it because that's what it's about. All the information in the world won't make a difference unless it is applied. So with that, oh yeah, if the acoustic sounds weird, you'll never guess where I'm broadcasting from. Broadcasting sounds so legit. A closet. Mm -hmm. So I am broadcasting from a walk-in closet which is in my new apartment in Boston. I think it sounds pretty good. So I'm either going to do it here or there's like a little conference room that you can book upstairs. So I'll definitely go up there and do an episode and see what that's like. But I think this is pretty cool. I mean, I've listened to it back. Let me know. But this is going to be the sound for the next 15 months. Okay, but yeah, if you have any questions for Maeve or myself, you obviously know where to find me, but if you want to reach out to Maeve, I'll have all her links. So Maeve has sent me all her links and I'll put them in the description of this episode. And as I have mentioned in the last episode, I am working currently on my show notes page on the website. Like, you know, I have a blog to go up there and a show notes page. I just don't have the time. Like I'm basically working a full-time job, so it's just trying to get the time in there. But when I have that up, I'll have a lot more information about each episode, maybe a transcript, if I can get that sorted. But yeah, all of Maeve's links will be in the description. And yeah, reach out there. She's very responsive on her social media too. So 
uh, definitely reach out through there. But with that, I hope you have a fantastic week. It's Monday now, so get your food prepped, your water bottles full, room neat, and get it. Mm-hmm.